So Money, episode 844, Susan Packard, author of Fully Human. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We've seen all these changes and we've seen all this chaos around us and we bring it into the office. It's harder for us today to express authentic um, emotional intelligence. We all know what emotional intelligence is for the most part, I think, but what about emotional fitness? Welcome back to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We're talking to Susan Packard. She's the author of Fully Human, Steps to Grow Your Emotional Fitness in Work, Leadership, and Life. It comes out this month. Susan is a pretty big deal. Uh, You may not know her name, but you know the brands that she has been behind. Most notably, she helped to build TV brands like CNBC and the Food Network. She was the second employee and COO of HGTV, which is my favorite channel. Later, they sold HGTV for $15 billion in 2018. Susan's career has now led her to thought leadership, speaking, writing. Her latest book, again, is called Fully Human, and in it, she shares insights that she gained during her years at places like HGTV. Susan believes there's a gap between what we know about emotional intelligence and how we live. And in this book, she offers invaluable tools that bridge that gap. We talk about her upbringing in Detroit managing money in her marriage, and navigating very male-dominated industries as a leader and executive. Here we go. Here's Susan Packard. Susan Packer, welcome to So Money. Congratulations. Just one day after the release of Fully Human, I feel very lucky to have you on the show. Well, I feel very fortunate that you asked me. Hello, Farnoosh. Hello, hello. My goodness, your body of work is so singular. Not everyone can say they, you know, founded, uh, co-founded brands like TV brands like CNBC and HGTV and Food Network. And on top of everything else, a speaker and a thought leader and an author. Your latest book is Fully Human, and I, I really love the message of this book. So important in these times as so much of the workplace has become automated, tech-driven, working remotely. I, for one, love to work remotely. But it really hits about how to be emotionally fit in work and also in leadership and in life. What brought you to this Thesis. I know that you've given a TED talk on being emotionally mature, which is a mm-hmm. more of a sort of like the nirvana of emotional intelligence. Like right. we talk a lot about EI, but emotional <clears throat> maturity is really where it's at. And I feel like this is a derivation of that to some extent. Right. And and just to flip it a little bit, emotional fitness is the, is the bigger idea. Um, emotional maturity is where I was when I wrote the first book um, and thinking through one of the really important qualities of leadership. But then as I was continuing to do some research on this and I knew I wanted to write more about this notion of emo- emotional maturity, um, 
it felt it well so it, it sort of i reframed it as emotional fitness they're very similar ideas and probably it's a distinction without a difference but um why i followed this path is because for my own per, in my own personal life as i rose in leadership it was really important for me to see and to to observe the models of leadership that were around me as i was trying to get comfortable in my own skin and and figure out okay well first of all who am i as a person what do i stand for as a person and i'm starting to have teams that work for me and then when i started to have large groups of people working for me i looked at uh, many many managers and those above me in terms of hierarchy i wouldn't call um all of them leaders and i got a sense of what was important in terms of the connector points between at least me as an employee and those people that were above me and that I was working with i saw sort of the good the good the bad and the ugly and i think we we all do truthfully if we've you know been in three or four jobs um and i realized that as far as emotional fitness goes today I mean I've always been interested in this topic, right? So it came to us in the 90s and I read about it and then there was the book that came out Emotional Intelligence 2.0 and I was reading that and I was always I'm always been interested in it because I'm all, I, it's how do we connect so that as teammates we can do the best jobs we can do and as people as human beings how do we connect because it's all it's all one thing and I realized that today you know in 2019 i guess i started this book in 2015 but the whole world was starting to change it was very different it looked very different from the 90s when the first notion of eq came out and you know today as i was writing my book and i i was fortunate that i could be as current as i have been with the book because really it it includes and all through where through 2018 so we've seen all these changes and we've seen all this chaos around us and we bring it into the office it's harder for us today to express authentic um emotional intelligence and so the book is an attempt to help the reader get to a comfortable place so that they can relate well to their teammates I mean the timing again couldn't be more appropriate and as someone who interviews a lot of authors I've myself come across other books where there is this focus on humanity like it's this thing that we've lost the sense of how to be human uh, my friend Dan Chabell wrote the book Back to Human and yours is fully human and so is it just that we have to blame technology for this which is by the way human made um we have ourselves to <laughs> to blame and I and oh, I don't think anyone would disagree with the fact that technology is only going to get more advanced and so how do you reconcile where we're headed which is a more technologically advanced world and this clearly this desire to hold on to the truisms of what it means to be a great human like the human qualities that make us great right right that's a really good question um you know Tim Cook said something I thought was profound at a commencement ceremony um for MIT a couple of years ago and he said technology can do great things but technology doesn't want to do great things because technology doesn't want to do anything so the way I read his remarks 
was that as leaders, the technology doesn't control us. We control it and we decide how it will be deployed in organizations. Even if we're not in leadership making those decisions, as teammates, we decide how it's going to be deployed. And, you know, if you page through my book, I tell many stories about, I mean, one individual, Bobby Hood, who didn't use text, didn't use email. I mean, I realize today that that's not prudent or practical, but, you know, this this gentleman was beloved. And I'm not suggesting we don't use technology. I do think we need to question, it seems like a lot of the research that I've been doing on leaders and CEOs is they're, they're structuring around distributed workplaces, remote workplaces. Uh, I was listening to the gentleman who is a CEO at WordPress and his whole you know workforce is all over the world, 800 employees, no offices. And he was talking about the benefits of that. And I get that. And Farnoosh, you said, you know, hey, I like being a remote employee. But I just think about my experience in organizations and how important belonging as an emotion is to us as human beings. You know, community, belonging, these things are important to us. And when you substitute screens for that belonging, you miss out on this great opportunity in a workplace where you could connect with other people. So I just think about it, HGTV, you know, we started as a headquarters and we had remote offices, but there was no one individual person by themselves. So they were a bunch of remote offices, but there was groups in those offices. And then over time, we did allow individuals to work from home, but we didn't start out that way. There was so much benefit in us physically being together. I did thumb through your book and I, I, I landed, I stopped at chapter eight, which is about managing pride and ego, which, um, you know, we just finished talking about, you just finished giving a really good answer to a question that was about how do we kind of leverage technology and, um, you're totally right. We are in control of that. And then to some extent also, it's about controlling your own emotions that don't necessarily support this idea of being, you know, fit, emotionally fit. And one is getting a real handle on your pride and ego, which I believe I also read you think is we're at a time in our history when that has really gone out of control. Like people are so ego driven. So two questions, why are we so ego driven? And and then how do we how do we get the self-awareness to say, I'm being a real jerk? <laughs> right. <clears throat> or I need to get out get out of my own head and think for the team. The, the leaders that, and I, I list a whole bunch of them in that chapter, who have been entitlement-driven, self-aggrandizing leaders um, are either in prison or their organizations are in turmoil. So it can la- you can do that for a while, but it's not sustaining. If you read my book, you will see, you'll see my experience <laughs> with different organizations. Um, and one was really led with, pri- with, um, with arrogance and ego. And they're just all power traps. And I'll tell you, you know, I, when I became COO at HGTV and I had a quote unquote corner office, I had lots of moments like that. You know, there were hundreds of people that were relying on decisions I made. 
and coming to me. And, you know, I could see where you could fall into that kind of a trap. But, you know, people do today and you see it all over the, you know, not just in business, but in government and in education. You know, all of our institutions today are religious institutions. I mean, there's so many that are falling into this, uh, these traps. And the way that I suggest we need to get out of them is through going through a process of getting to know yourself better so that you can give that part of yourself to your organization, the part that's not, that's not connecting with your organization, especially groups today, you know, the, the workforces of today, they don't have any patience with, you know, arrogant, entitled leadership. I mean, if you come to work thinking that they owe you everything, your organization will not be sustaining. Right. You owe them a workforce and a culture that they're worth, you know, that is worthy of them. Well, and I think to to some extent we can be grateful for things like social media, and uh, really, there's no barrier to uh, voicing your concerns now because you ha- can just quickly say it online. So leaders are being outed and then mm-hmm. ousted. Right. For their for their lack of sensitivity and and that's putting it nicely and like, you know, to the, and to your, you know, to the other end of it is, you know, fraud, criminal activities. Right. So it's it's uh you're far more accountable now as a leader than you ever were, which I think is a good thing. Right. Um, Susan, you have an incredible background. You know, you grew up as one of four kids with two parents, um, first generation Italian and Greek grandparents. And, um, you entered an industry that even today still, but especially back then was male dominated. I always want to ask women, I get this question too, sometimes as someone who works in the financial space, did you ever feel as if you weren't going to make it because you were a woman or you felt that you had a consciousness around the fact that you were a female in this male-dominated world and that was a miss, maybe a handicap. I didn't really feel that way. I think I was fortunate. I mean, I certainly realized I was a woman uh, amongst many men, but I didn't ever feel like I was being um, held back because of it. And maybe that was just my own jadedness. (laughs) Uh, But how did you uh, interpret all of that? Well, you know, I've always been very competitive with myself. And so when I started my career, that none of that changed. If anything, it got more intensive. Um, So what was important to me was doing the best I could do um, so that I could be comfortable with the results that I was delivering. And I really didn't see those issues around me. I didn't feel either way, truthfully. I didn't feel like I was being, it was benefiting me and I didn't feel like it was handicapping me. Um, I guess I was sort of gender blind Mm -hmm. when I was working, um, which is not, I wasn't um, naive. And I even in my first book, may I share some stories about clients that um, deserve to be (laughs) taken out to the woodshed and shot um, and so I do, sh- I do share some of those stories. So I wasn't immune from all of that experience, but I think because what was most important to me, I just stayed focused on the work I was doing, the learning that I needed 
to learn, which had to be through men, because the men were the guys, were the people that were surrounding me in this industry. So I had to learn from them if I wanted to be good at what I was doing. And, um, you know, for the most part, I had very positive relationships with the guys that I worked for and with. That's really good. Yeah, I've heard that from other um, highly accomplished women that, like, to your point, I wasn't naive. Bad things happened to me or inappropriate things I witnessed. I was the subject of uncomfortable things. But you know what? I just... It became an antidote, a footnote in a much bigger mm-hmm. story, and um, uh, it is. It was what it was, and it still is what it is to this day. But here I am, and it didn't slow right. down. I love that story. Uh, we love talking about guests' personal financial perspectives on this show. Uh, we definitely want to check out your book, Fully Human, which is out now. Three steps to grow your emotional fitness in work, leadership, and life. When it comes to money, Susan, obviously you're a great businesswoman in your professional life, in your personal life. How does you, how how would you grade yourself financially? <laughs> <laughs> I think my husband Bill um, would be a better one to answer that um, question. He does he does our banking, and um, I remember when I first met him, um, and we moved in together, and he said. Something happens to you once a month. Um, you get a you get something in the mail, and you go nuts. You go crazy, and you you're, you open like sixteen cans of beer. And what is going on? And I said, Oh, that's when I'm trying to balance my checking account, and I hate it. I hate doing this. Um, so he took it over gladly, and he's um, much more orderly than I am. I'm not a very orderly person, mm-hmm. so it doesn't lend itself well to you know balancing checkbooks and things like that. But um, money, we you know, I grew up in a. Um, I'm not even sure we were middle class. We were probably lower middle class family, um, and mom and dad both worked. My older sisters worked. I were. I mean, everybody worked, um, and so we're all very appreciative of um, what we make and our paychecks and all of that. I don't know if it would, you know, if it would be different if, I mean, even today, Bill and I really are not, we're very low key in terms of, you know, we don't have extravagant expenses. Um, We just live comfortably the way we live. But I, I am, you know, we do have people who help now with investments and things like that, those resources are immeasurably valuable Mm. um, to help both of us, really, although he does a good job of it, but to to help both of us. Growing up, uh, do you remember any money stories or money perspective, like uh, encounters or literacy or any experiences you had that stand out as an adult. Guests have talked about the first job they had or when their parents had a big conversation around money or the first time they got a, you know, an allowance, anything to that end that um, can give us some more insight into your financial perspectives. You know, actually, the way I'd like to answer that question is more about um, my dad. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I, I talk about my dad and, and him being a real role model for emotional fitness for me. So he was in the Second World War and he was wounded. He um, got a Purple Heart. And because he was wounded, 
we got once a month a disability paycheck from the vet. That's what, I mean, it was like a celebration when that came every month. And it allowed my dad to, you know, go into his little room and to pay the bills and to do all those things. I remember thinking to myself, I hope I always feel that way when I get a paycheck that, you know, almost like it's a gift rather than just, you know, taking it for granted. I deserve it, (laughs) you know, because you never know. I mean, how many friends, my friend's parents have no longer have pensions because, you know, the company did something that somehow messed with the books or whatever they did. So there are people today who don't have the, the comfort of knowing that there's something in the bank. And that's probably the majority of the people out there today. But, but growing up, I just remember his attitude and this big smile he'd have on his face when it was almost like, yeah, I sure didn't want to get shot. And I sure didn't even want to go through that war. But I get this little paycheck every month and it helps us to balance our bills here. And so I don't know, but that was that was what came to mind when you asked me that question. Well, it's so great. He may not even realize it at the time what he was really gifting you, which was this comfort level with what money can do and how money mm-hmm. impacts a family. You know, doing showing you how he's opening this up in front of the family and like you know that there's a ritual around this and that he uses this to pay the bills. I remember too, my father was the primary bill keeper, bill payer in the family. And, uh, I, I remember going past, you know, his office at his home office and, and once a month it was, you know, he would really sit down and back then you weren't auto paying anything. You had to you know, right. sign it, right. stamp it, put the check in the, and it was a whole job that he reserved every month to do. And he didn't complain. He did it. And I just saw, I would witness that and I would, it, it became known to me that this is like what you do when you're an adult. You know, this is, oh, if you want yeah. the life that you have, if you want the house and the car and the whole bit, you have to dedicate, and it wasn't, you know, obsessive. It was like, he did it once a month. It was a thing that I knew not to like go in running in with any questions. Like he just needed to get the bills done because they had deadlines and the whole thing. And over the years, I learned more about what he was doing, but that uh, that witnessing was hugely impactful. And I tell parents too, you know, you don't have to sometimes sit and have a lecture, just do the things, do your money thing. Right, <laughs> and right. the kids will, will learn. It's better than not seeing, I, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Right. I agree with that. Our uh, sponsor for the show is Chase. And we have been asking guests, and I know we're past the January month. This is airing in February, but People tend to give up on their New Year's resolutions this time of year. So I want to ask you if you're if you and your husband have a financial goal this year or a financial resolution. You know, we've been talking about the possibility of maybe investing in a place where it's warmer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, no. Don't yeah, you love right. the snow and the cold? <laughs> so um yeah, we've been talking about it. Um, I'm not sure. I guess that's what they say, that first you talk and explore it, and then maybe we'll we'll eventually get there. But if we did something like that, it would be pretty monumental. Um, but, you know, a lot of friends do it, and um, maybe there's something to that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> – I know now for – 
Oh, exactly why people move to Florida. More and more people my age are moving down south. And I don't think it's just for the tax benefits. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's, this has been a really couple of cold winters last year and this year, especially. Yeah. Our son was in Chicago for four years working. And last <gasps> yeah. summer he moved to Miami. Oh, so it's nice there you have a it. lot more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. There's that too. Um, all right. Sticking with the money theme, what would you say was your greatest financial decision? Your so money moment, as I like to say on the show. Yeah, my greatest financial decision. You know, I think about things that cost a lot. And um, probably it would have been, we invested, we lived in a home here in Knoxville and we decided to invest in another home that wasn't too far away, but it was on the water so that we could um, enjoy the water, you know, and water sports. And there was a lot of discussion about that. And part of it was, why do we have two homes in this community? Why don't we just move to that home full time? But then it, for me, because at that point in time, I really didn't want to have a long commute. We just chose to kind of have that situation. But eventually we, we you know, we sold that home. And yeah, I'd say it was probably that. Um, beyond that, I, I, I guess that would be about it when I think about it. Well, it sounds also that it was shedding a lot of the kind of emotional weight too of having these two homes, right? There's like, it's a right. lot, it's a lot to take on. And a lot of people say like, I don't know if I want to be a homeowner. And I'm like, well, your finances could be spot on. But if you don't just, if you don't want to be a homeowner, like mentally, <laughs> emotionally, right. physically, that's all the big undertaking. So right, it's, right. Uh, it, it makes sense to me. Well, Susan, you've been a really good sport on this show. I know uh, sometimes, you know, the money stuff is sometimes it's new terrain for people. You come out with this great book about leadership and work, and I throw some money curveballs at you, but <laughs> I really enjoyed the conversation and um, I love getting the diversity of answers from everybody. So thank you so much. Congratulations on Fully Human, uh, a great book for anybody who wants to learn how to become emotionally fit, which I think needs to become a, a term that we use more and more more appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Furnish. To learn more about Susan, please visit susanpackard.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at Susan Packard. And the book again is called Fully Human, Steps to Grow Your Emotional Fitness in Work, Leadership, and Life. If you missed any of this, just hop over to somoneypodcast.com and you can click on the transcript, listen and download the audio. You can also click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for our Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.